In this episode of The Data Show, I spoke with Mike Tung, founder and CEO of DiffBot, a company dedicated to building large-scale knowledge databases. DiffBot is at the heart of many web applications and it's starting to power a wide array of intelligent applications. We talked about the challenges of building a web-scale platform for doing highly accurate, semi-supervised, structured data extraction from mainly dark data sources. We also took a tour through the AI landscape and the early days of self-driving cars. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica, here today with Mike Tong, founder and CEO of a very interesting startup, which we'll uh, get into today called DiffBot. Welcome to the Data Show, Mike. Thanks for having me here, Ben. It's great to be here. So first, let's introduce you to the audience. You have a very eclectic background for someone who's ended up in uh, some very interesting parts of technology. I know that you started out in... Uh, as kind of a patent lawyer of some kind, right? <laughs> well, I mean, not exactly. So, I, yeah, I do have a quite an eclectic background. Uh, I've been working on uh, AI ever since middle school, back when uh, neural networks were hot back then. And uh, at, so I'm from the East Coast, Atlanta, and um, worked my first job at Microsoft as a software engineer. I then went to college and studied electrical engineering at Berkeley and went to grad school after that at Stanford uh, as part of the Stanford AI lab. And um, during that time, um, I was a consultant at Yahoo as well as eBay and um, did a few other random things. One of them uh, to help pay the bills in the early days of DiffBot, which was becoming a patent lawyer. So I would write uh, patents for other companies. I was the chief um, uh, IP prosecutor. So wait a minute. So this was a. Uh, did you have a day job? Um, my day job was a grad student at Stanford. Um, during that time, I had uh, joined one a startup that was one of the founding engineers. So, Prabhakar Raghavan. He's you know one of the oh, yeah. um, you know used to be head of Yahoo Research and um, he's a professor at Stanford. Uh, wrote the information retrieval book. I was on the board of a startup called The Find, which was product search. Um, so he asked me, Mike, if I could I could join. As one of the founding engineers there, and I did. And, Actually, uh, let, Mike, let's take a step back. So, what <laughs> areas did you focus in in school? Oh, okay. So, undergrad was electrical engineering and computer science. Uh, in grad school, I focused. So, were on, you you were taking machine learning courses? Yeah, that's right. I took uh, Stuart Russell's class uh, AI at Berkeley. Um, and I worked in uh, actually computational biology. So I worked on one of the uh, algorithms used for protein sequence alignment, um, constructing what's called phylogenetic trees from protein sequence uh, across different uh, genomes and so forth. And um, in grad school, uh, focused mostly on topics like natural language processing, uh, search, and um, computer vision. So the, in the back of your mind, were, you were a startup guy. Um, well, I, I started out working at big companies, and that was um, educational in many ways. I, I learned how you know, like a big company like Microsoft works, but I also learned that that's probably not where I want to be uh, long term. And so you said that uh, when you were in grad school, you were doing this patent work um, to pay the bills, but uh, there was a DiffBot was already hanging in the air somehow. Yeah, I've been thinking about DiffBot for like a really long time, but it really stemmed from. Um, some of the frustration I had back then 
with the state of AI. Uh, I think I didn't think we were progressing fast enough to ultimately building human and also better than human level uh, reasoning systems. And I felt like really the constraint was access to to labeled or structured data, which I think has been become really clear. You know, recently you see. Um, uh, actually, some pretty good performance gains gains in certain tasks, and uh, a lot of that is attributed to the larger data sets now that those algorithms are able to train on. By so, the way, uh, yeah, uh, go you, ahead. You brought up reasoning. I find it interesting, actually, because uh, a lot, of, in many ways, a lot of the things you hear about AI these days, particularly around deep learning, strike me as kind of in the area of pattern recognition. But if you look at kind of the classic AI books, they talk about an AI system having the ability to do pattern recognition, but also has modules for reasoning, planning, uh, knowledge. And so I, I think ultimately uh, these other modules will be important if you're going to have true AI, right? Well, yeah. I mean, to me, the brain is a very complex object and there's parts of it that uh, think logically, like, um, you know, sort of our conscious train of thought is serialized, but then there's other parts that uh, think statistically like and in parallel, you know, like our subconscious mind, which we don't have access to, um, that is constantly processing a lot of um, input, sensory input in parallel. And so, yeah, a lot of these ideas uh, have been brewing for a while, but the real sort of, I think, uh, in our view, the catalyst for um, really creating high performance systems will be, you know, at least access to structured data of the scale that, that humans have access to. And that just wasn't, you know, happening or, you know, even in uh, the early 2000s. And so I got to thinking, you know, what's the largest source of human knowledge that exists uh, that we have as a species? And it became obvious that the web is actually a very good target for that. Um, the only problem with the web, of course, is that it's unstructured. It's, uh, it was and it's also, it, Mike, it's also pretty big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, if you think about the web as a virtual world, there, there are more pixels in the surface area of the web than there are, you know, like square millimeters on, on the surface of the earth. So as a, as a surface for computer vision and, and parsing, it's actually, um, it's actually amazing. And you don't have to actually build a physical robot in order to traverse the web. Um, it is, it is pretty tricky, though. I could talk a little bit about uh, how we overcome so, oh, I see. So, so in, in many ways, actually, so... Uh, as I understand it, the way you explain it now, I think, I guess, DiffBot to you is a necessary uh, tool in order to build true AI in many ways. This access to large-scale uh, structured information. Yeah, I just didn't see um, many other research groups, at least in academia, sort of building um, this sort of comprehensive uh, you know, database of knowledge. So. So what uh, about the uh, search engine companies? Yeah. They have knowledge so, graphs and, and things like that, right? Yeah. Uh, they're building it in a, in a very different way. So uh, there's a few different ones we could talk about. Like, for example, um, Google has a knowledge graph uh, team. The origins, of, uh, I'm sure your listeners are aware from, you know, um, a startup uh, that was building something uh, called Freebase, right, which was a crowdsourced um, kind of like a, a Wikipedia for data. Right, and um, they've continued to build upon that uh, at, at Google, um, adding more and more human curators. To, uh, you know, it's a complex system, but there are so a lot of it, humans it a, curating that. Is knowledge. it a hybrid system in the sense that you have human in the loop, but there's some automation? Yeah, it's a mix of both software, uh, but there's definitely um, thousands and thousands of people um, that actually contribute uh, to their to their knowledge graph. Uh, whereas, in contrast, we are a team of fifteen. 
of the top AI people in the world. We don't have anyone that's curating the knowledge. So all of the knowledge is completely synthesized by our AI system. And when our customers uh, use our service, uh, they're using directly the output of the AI. There's no human involved in the loop of our business model. So at a high level, BiffBot takes the web and converts it into a database table. Yeah, that's our, our high level goal is to build, you know, the largest structured database of knowledge and include the most comprehensive map of all of the entities and the facts about those entities. And the way we're doing it is um, by combining multiple data sources. One of them is the web. So we have this crawler that's uh, crawling the entire surface area of the web for each page that it sees. It's classifying what type of page that is, determining uh, how can, that can be represented in, in an entity and extracting that entity. Uh, with so you, you, you adhere to robots.txt? Uh, well, by <laughs> default we do. Um, but we also we have this um, customize. Um, when our customers use our service, they can actually turn that on or off as a toggle. All right. Um, so then uh, you get to a web page. So what does DiffBot do? So you mentioned computer vision. Well, the first thing we do uh, with the web, first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a very, um, it's a complex system that has a lot of moving parts. But roughly what happens when uh, a robot first encounters a page is we render the page in our own uh, customized rendering engine, which is a fork of WebKit that basically has its face ripped off. It doesn't have all the human niceties of a web browser, and it, it runs uh, much faster than um, a, a browser because it doesn't need those human-facing components. And the other difference is uh, we've instrumented the whole rendering process. So we have access to all of the pixels on the page for each XY position. We have its RGB alpha value. We have um, access to analysis of all the source codes that, that, are, that, are, that are running uh, when a page is rendering, the JavaScript and CSS and so forth, access to all of the HTTP headers and time of flight information. Um, if there's a video playing on the page, we have access to each frame and the frame buffer of that video. And we have all the layout and positioning information that's involved in the painting of the page, like um, how things are uh, positioned in the flow of the page. And we've instrumented it in a way where we are able to dump out all this raw information as sensory input. And these are the features that feed into our semi-supervised learning system. Uh, and then, you know, millions of lines of code later, out comes uh, these uh, knowledge, which are so these... It's basically, uh, yeah, so at that point, you're taking the pixels and you're extract, uh, trying to convert it to structured information. Yeah, well, we have access to both the pixels as well as, you know, I mentioned all of those other sources right. of, of data in the rendering process, inc including, of course, you know, the actual DOM, right, and the text. So it's really, um, there's multiple channels of information that the, uh, the algorithm can take in uh, and to jointly come up with the best decisions how to extract that page. So, the, so semi-supervised means you do rely on some labeled data. Yes, so uh, we have uh, both a combination of um, data that's been labeled by us. Um, we get a, a lot from, from our customers, actually, that train the system. So if you are a customer of, of DiffBot, you can actually, uh, when you're using DiffBot, log into your account and teach DiffBot um, how to more accurately extract parts of your page and, and also create custom APIs. So uh, that's another source of labels. But uh, an either greater source of information, of course, is the, the unlabeled web. So as we're traversing uh, a lot of these pages that we've never seen before in our training set, um, we're able to uh, find patterns, you know, as we were talking about before, pattern recognition in, in 
there's a lot of uh, inherent structure to the web, even across um, all languages and, and site so, types. So in terms of building blocks, um, I imagine you guys have expertise in computer vision and natural language understanding? Yeah, that's right. Um, we have a lot of expertise in, in both of those. Uh, you know, for example, in NLP and language representation, um, one of our guys is uh, the world record holder on the Hutter Prize, which is one of the AI grand challenges. Um, um, Alex Rutushnak, if you look uh, oh, up yeah, yeah. The, the Hutter Prize, you know, the past what the, uh, so benchmark. Mike, is, this, is your system English only? Uh, no, it works in, first of all, I would, I would say DiffBot, you can pass in any URL, so it's completely unrestricted to what site or URL you pass it. Um, so our system doesn't have any hard coding or any learning of per site rules. Um, and you can pass in pages in any language. You know, you can feed DiffBot a um, Korean product page, right? And it's going to be able to determine that's a product and extract a product's name, brand, um, price. You can feed it an Arabic message forum, and it's going to be able to tell these are the speakers in that forum, this is what they said, and these are the timestamps. You can pass in a German newspaper, and it'll say this is the author, and these are the entities mentioned in that article, uh, and this is um, the, the main image for that article and what, what it's about. So to what extent, so I would imagine if, if you were to start building a system like this from scratch, uh, you could get further if you were good at natural language understanding to, uh, than vision, right? So to what extent does the computer vision play in? Uh, it's... It plays in at multiple levels. So first, the first phase of our um, pipeline is the extraction phase, right? So in order to extract um, accurately from pages, you really need both the structure, you know, of the source code as well as the visual features of the page. So, you know, you, you take like, let's say like that German news article or news site, I'm, I have no uh, understanding of the German language, right? But when I look at a German newspaper, I know that this is likely the author, this is likely the, the title of that um, article, this is likely the image, and this is likely the text of that article, and these are the comments of that article. And the reason I know that is because um, there's a lot of visual information in, in layout, right? Um, that's been, there's certain conventions that apply across languages, and that visual information is key to extracting that page correctly. And humans are really good at that. And um, our machine that's been trained to simulate how humans parse web pages is also very good at that. So the actual layout analysis, the visual information is very key. And then analyzing the images themselves that are on the page, uh, of course, you need a lot of computer vision there to understand what are the entities in that photo. And um, DiffBot, because it has a sort of joint understanding of both um, the layout of the page surrounding those images as well as the image, it's able to um, use both of those sources of information to, to tag very accurately. So uh, a, few, a few things. So on, uh, on, uh, on the latency side, so to what extent do you guys address the real-time web? Uh, yeah. Uh, so the latency of processing a page for us is no, is mainly gated by the speed and performance of that that underlying no, no, no. site in terms, that we're in analyzing. Terms of, uh, how fresh uh, is the information? So because ah, now the okay. web is very real time. Correct. Yeah. So um, if you're using our crawlbot crawling product to uh, kick off crawls of the web, so there's a few ways of using DiffBot. One is you pass in direct URLs to our our API endpoint, you get back structured information in the form of JSON. So that is basically instant. Um, whatever page you pass to us, we're analyzing it right then and sending you back. Um, generally, within about 200 to 400 milliseconds, you get back the answer. Um, if you're crawling um, 
entire sites. So let's say you give us a, a set of millions of domains, like uh, let's defot crawl, you know, like all of these stores, for example, um, you can determine your crawling schedule. So you can say crawl these sites every 15 minutes if that's what you want or crawl these once a day and you can you can set that and the third way which um we're starting to open access to is our own crawls of the web um and people are directly sending queries to us and so we have our own um sort of algorithmic way of trying to determine uh, priority in crawling the web that's uh, that's pretty good so right now you can query um all of the um, news about like certain entities and it's basically being updated on a, about a 15-minute uh, freshness interval. And it's sort of like a supercharged uh, version of Google News, if you use it in that way. Right. Uh, it has more sources than it, um, and it has a full accessible API. So and then the other, the other question is, uh, nowadays, of course, people have gone mobile. So do you, what do you do on, for mobile? Uh, so right now, we're off, we offer a developer API. So th that developer API can be used to build mobile applications, server-side applications, right, business applications. So, um, and then I would say our customer base is divided in terms of people building consumer applications and people building enterprise applications. And for the consumer applications, um, those are either search engines that we power. So um, DiffBot data is used to power search engines like Bing, DuckDuckGo, Amazon, um, Yandex, um, and then consumer apps. So a lot of the these mobile apps that your, um, people that are listening might have heard of, um, Instapaper, uh, ShopSpring, um, use DiffBot structured data inside those mobile apps. Um, and I heard recently about a pretty cool one, uh, a company uh, in Africa where the you know uh, smartphone penetration is much lower using DiffBot in order to reformat pages so that they work well on, on feature, even feature phones. So um, by having the AI analyze the pages and extract just the important or semantic bits, they're able to actually um, save a lot of bandwidth and, and display them in these emerging markets. So, you know, when, when uh, you describe DiffBot as, you know, uh, creating the largest uh, database of, of structured information, the, my immediate reaction is, this is great, you know, these are additional features mm -hmm. for an algorithm or machine learning, but I'm sure there's many applications that don't, that don't uh, uh, pertain to machine learning, so maybe you can yeah. walk us through kind of the the big buckets of ways people use uh, yeah. uh, structured information. Yeah, actually, you'd be surprised because machine uh, machine learning research is only um, a, uh, a small. We we um, we provide data to a lot of machine learning labs uh, are our users for you know of course and um, you know LDC one of the largest providers of NLP corpuses right and um, as well as a. Uh, Thomson Reuters, you know, are, are customers of ours, but the the bulk of our our users aren't really doing machine learning research. They're actually just building um, intelligent applications. So uh, we 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 want to essentially accelerate the advent of all of these sort of intelligent applications that need knowledge in order to be more intelligent. And that includes both consumer applications as well as enterprise applications. I mentioned on the consumer side, we 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 power search engines as well as apps and. Uh, Search engines generally use DiffBot to, to build enhanced search results, so uh, to go beyond sort of like 10 blue links and show more information about those uh, pages to the user. Uh, apps use DiffBot in order to have just whole in-app experiences. Or, um, basically, you know, most apps are, um, that, you, that people use are basically structured data viewers, in, in a sense. Um, and then in the enterprise side, um, people are using DiffBot for all kinds of enterprise intelligence, right? So... 
if you are a salesperson, you would like to, to get a larger database of leads, right, which, is, um, which are people entities. If you're a recruiter, you'd like to um, query people by certain skill sets, right, or um, by, you know, other attributes like uh, past employers or certain locations, and that's querying people entities. If you're in marketing customer feedback analysis, right, a great example is Cisco, which is uh, using DiffBot in order to analyze what people say about their routers. Right, so they're using, they're able to use Diffbot to crawl um, sort of these very niche forums where people write um, basically novels about their routers and should, you know have stack traces and workarounds and so forth. And they're now able to identify which um, which models or SKUs are having problems out there in the wild and who are the the you know the people impacted by it and who are the people trying to, to help them. Uh, so customer feedback analysis and marketing are also very large verticals for us. Um, so, uh, advertising and PR. So being able to understand for like a PR company, like how many articles you know uh, you were able to get written uh, about your clients is something that is trivially done with a simple query, right? To um, to the, um, the the article database that we have structured. Um. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the way, yeah. So uh, an end user doesn't have to be a programmer, I imagine, right? Could be just a business user. So mm. how do they express these queries? Is it like a search search mm. query? Yeah, that's something. Well, right now the DiffBot product is mostly offered as an API, so oh, you do right. have to be a developer. But you bring up a really good point. We're trying to we're right right in the midst of trying to uh, basically expand our offering to allow non-developers to, to query it as well. So we're developing um, what is going to be this uh, queryable interface to this uh, knowledge graph. Um, so you talked about uh, kind of the fork of WebKit, but I know that in the past when we've spoken, you've also talked about the crawler itself, which is based mm -hmm. on this cool project called Gigablast. Yeah. So tell us yep. a little bit about uh, that side of things. Yeah. Uh, so um, if you remember uh, sort of like you know, the first era of search, the first search wars where there was, uh, you know, AltaVista, right, and, and Yahoo and, and Excite and so forth. Um, one, one of our... Don't forget about the Berkeley company, Ink to Me. Ink to Me, that's right. <laughs> yeah. One of our, um, our VP of search, Matt Wells, is the founder of the Gigablast search engine. Um, and during that era, Gigablast competed head-on against Google and... Um, and, and Ink to Me and AltaVista and others. And Gigablast actually had a larger real-time search index than, than Google at that time. Uh, and so Matt is a, a world expert uh, in search and has de been developing uh, his C++ crawler Gigablast um, for, you know, I would say almost a decade. So it's, and, it's open source, right? Uh, well, yeah, he, uh, we, he open sourced it recently and we put it up on our uh GitHub um, account. So if you go to github.com slash diffbot, you'll see uh, access to the Gigablast uh, search engine. So uh, for, for people out, listeners out there who want to try something besides Lucene. <laughs> yeah, it, Gigablast scales much, much better than Lucene. I know because I am uh, used to use Lucene myself. Um, and it's a, it's a very elegant system. It's a fully symmetric, uh, masterless system, has its own UDP-based uh, communications protocol, includes a, a full web crawler indexer, has real-time search capability. Uh, and so, you know, of course, Lucene doesn't do that. You have to add other things to it um, to get the crawling aspect and um, to, to really get a, a fully complete web search engine. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it sounds like to build something like Gigaplast, actually, you have a lot of uh, important components, right? So that crawler, mm -hmm. the uh, the fork of WebKit, and then, of course, the heart of it, which is all the uh, machine learning. 
algorithms. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, those we have. Um, so we have our own um, data center where we rack these machines, and there's different um, uh, different roles, as you mentioned, for these machine farms. Right. We have an entire bank of machines for rendering, entire bank of machines that uh, run computer vision algorithms, uh, those that run NLP and entity detection uh, algorithms. So are these, you know. are, are these GPUs? Um, we, uh, the way we do it is we typically um, don't use GPUs for production. So we use GPUs sometimes to train models. Right. Um, but then we typically will serialize those models and, um, you know, uh, do just like you know the forward pass of that on CPU because it's uh, easier to uh, scale out uh, CPU based machines. So uh, AI quite a hot uh, topic these days, and I think by the time we air this uh, episode, uh, we would have announced the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference, of which I'm one of the chairs. So uh, where are we as far as you're concerned in terms of AI? It seems like like I alluded to earlier. In my mind, we've uh, made a lot of progress in the pattern recognition mm -hmm. side of things, and then maybe kind of there's some narrow AI systems that are good at very certain, very specific tasks. Yeah, uh, I think that we've shown um, that AI systems can be competitive to humans at on certain tasks, right? And I'm thinking of, of course, uh, you know, uh, image go. classification is one of them. Yeah, Go is another example yeah. of that. Um, and so I think the continued success of this field will hinge upon what are other tasks, right? That, it, uh, it, become... it seems like, uh, uh, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but my impression is that in, even in the tasks where we've made a lot of progress, uh, th these systems depend on so much data. Uh, that's right, yeah. Right? And so, so it's not like a, humans can uh, detect patterns much quicker. Uh, yeah, and that gets back again to sort of why we felt like uh, this was a useful thing to build a company around, because if you look at other uh, groups that are doing AI research, right, um, a lot of them are focused on very much the same as the academic style of research, which is coming out with new algorithms and publishing to sort of the same conferences. Even if you look at some of these industrial AI labs, they're basically um, they're doing the same kind of work that they would be doing in academia, right? Whereas what we're doing um, in terms of building this uh, large data set uh, would not have been created otherwise without uh, starting this, this effort. So I guess I guess. Uh, I you're, you're kind of like that, that knowledge component mm -hmm. of an AI system, right? Yeah, I think you need, you need really good algorithms and you also need really good data, right? right? And I think the algorithm development is very important, but there's already a lot of other people doing that. So um, let's focus on... Well, you know, if you have the right data, you can just use logistic regression for everything, right? Uh, yeah, if you have <laughs> enough, right? Uh, so that's sort of one of the key things we believe that um, it might be possible to build a human-level reasoning system. You, if you just had uh, an, enough structured information to, to do it on. When you started talking about these knowledge graphs, you know, and then uh, MetaWeb, then you get into this whole semantic web thing, which it seemed like there was a lot of hype. But uh, like you said, because it was uh, generated by hand, it didn't really scale. Yeah. There's and then sort also of... the access mechanisms were not democratized enough, I think. Yeah. I think basically the semantic web sort of vision never really got fully realized because of this sort of chicken and egg problem, right? You need enough people to annotate data, right? And annotate it for the purpose of the semantic web and not for the actual purpose, which is perhaps showing the web pages, right, to their, to their end users to build this um, comprehensiveness of knowledge 
Uh, and then with the comprehensiveness of knowledge, then people can build a lot of apps on top of it, right? The idea would be there's this virtual cycle where, you know, then you'd have a bunch of killer apps for this data, and then that would prompt more people to, um, to tag more things, right? But that never, that virtuous cycle never really got going in, in my view, and it, there have been a lot of efforts to, to do that, you know, over the over the years, right, with RDF and things like right, that, right. RSS, and 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 um, and so I think that is sort of like the fatal flaw, the way we would explain why that never really took off. What we're trying to do is basically take the annotation aspect out of the hands of humans. The idea here is that these AI algorithms are good enough that um, we can actually have AI um, build um, the semantic web. By the way, uh, for the listeners out there who might not know, actually, the uh, everyone uh, interacts with what Mike is describing on a daily basis. Because when you do search on Google, typically the first result, the first result or the, or the result on the side is kind of uh, generated by this knowledge graph that they have, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And the, so the well um, annotated result, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's called the knowledge, uh, these knowledge boxes that are on Google. A lot of the time, you're just seeing um, what was originally in that freebase data set, and uh, they've, ex they've expanded it to have more. But you'll notice that the things that are in the knowledge box are always um, famous or well-known people or, or companies or films or so forth. The long tail is missing, right? You type in, you know, an average Joe's name, uh, and he's not in the knowledge graph, right? Because it's not important enough that a human annotator um, has gotten to that yet. And of course, with the AI approach, um, we can capture the long tail really well because our AI is tireless. It, it is able to capture, you know, for example, every owner of a farm in rural Iowa, right, that might want to buy a, a tractor. It's not going to be in the Google Knowledge Graph, but um, it would have been discovered by our crawler and added to ours. And so that could, could be a very useful query for someone that, you know, that is trying to, to sell equipment, you know, for example, to those farmers. Uh, and so we really want to make it sort of like, uh, you know, the knowledge graph for the people. And, and that's the other thing. Google's knowledge graph is only, its purpose is to, uh, to improve Google search. And they are, uh, in our view, not likely to make that um, available to competitors uh, or and other also, companies that want to build. And also, as you described, there could be like a, an enterprise knowledge graph, right? So for mm -hmm. the knowledge inside an enterprise. Yeah, that's right. And that's another, another market that is not a well-served or a strong suit of, uh, of, of Google's effort as well. So there, there's some differences there. By the way, uh, you were part of that uh, early crew for uh, self-driving cars, right? So obviously you haven't, uh, you haven't worked in self-driving cars for years, but uh, where do you assess the state of self-driving cars now? How do you... Uh, so... By the yeah. way, someone described uh, self-driving cars to me as uh, at least a Google style, which relies on a lot of mapping data as yeah. basically a car driving on a rail railway track. Yeah. Um, back in the days uh, when I was working on it, and keep in mind, this was quite a while ago, a lot of these edge cases were very difficult for it to deal with, uh, such as you know driving in, in snow, if any kind of occlusion on the lane markers, uh, driving in rain, reflective surfaces. So, you know, of course, more data can solve that problem. But the question is, how good does it need to be to, to, to sort of be able or, to or, interoperate or, or, with other humans or, driving on the road? Uh, would it drive, uh, would it uh, 
be an intelligent system like uh, the way you would drive, right? Which is I can <laughs> drop you in the middle of nowhere and you would be inefficient about it, but you might be able to drive your way out of there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, hopefully the goal is to build cars that are superhuman, right? Better than human drivers. Right. Uh, and I think, um, again, that the company that has the most uh, collection of data is going to be the one that has an advantage there in terms of these AI methods, right, that rely on, on learning from data. So I, I guess, Mike, uh, if the AI is just dependent on massive amounts of data, then uh, in many ways it's, it's just a big data system and not an intelligent system. What did, I mean, so. Yeah, that's a much bigger question. And you could ask whether the brain is just a big data system as well. I would say, though, that the data... No, no, but I mean, don't, don't you think that humans can, uh, like a kid, can pick mm -hmm. up a pattern much, with much less data? Oh, um, I, I sort of dis disagree. I feel like uh, if you think about uh, how much data a human mind requires in order for us to consider that human like an intelligent person, right, it takes basically, you know like roughly 20 years of data collection, right? And we're expecting these AI systems to be intelligent well, much but, less uh, but time. But a, a, a kid, kid could probably come up with, uh, can reason and come up with, with rules much quicker, yeah. right? Well, I mean, like if you a, were to, like for a, example, like, a, like, like a, you know, the Turing test, for example, which is like a chatbot contest, right? right? right. Right. If you were to have a baby on the other end talking to you, uh, you would say this is not an intelligent system at all, right? Where and right. This, so the baby doesn't pass the Turing test, you know, or even a, even a toddler. So um, and they've, you know, by the time they are able to have a conversation, you know, they've um, collected way more data than uh, typically we train these these um, chat systems with. So when people talk about size of data, I, our perspective is actually the. If you look at size relative to number of parameters of the model, um, the the brain has way more parameters than uh, than sensory. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 in some ways, I so I agree that what you guys are doing are, is great because it's necessary. But I think that uh, it it's still, I you know, it's still less efficient than uh, the human mind to have uh, to have to require so much data. Ah. Uh, it's what I'm, it's all I'm saying, right? So, oh, yeah. Def well, at the end of, uh, if we're successful, at the end of the day, we'll be able to answer way more questions, right, about the world than right. the average human will be as well, right? So our sort of um, end goal is something that uh, has, has way more facts than like a typical person would, would learn in school or, or, you know, in their education. So what's the roadmap for you guys, like if you were to look five years down the road? So where would... What would you be capable of doing by then? Uh, so right now we're uh, very actively, you know, researching um, <clears throat> things like how to do um, very accurate uh, entity resolution at scale, right? So we've got the extraction. Oh, that, that's piece. a tough problem, man. <laughs> yeah. So we've got the extraction piece uh, uh, pretty much down, uh, me meaning that our, the average precision of our extraction, right, is between ninety-five to ninety-seven percent on a per field basis. So we're able to extract right now better than human beings are able to. And that's why we have, you know, so that's, uh, that's a semi supervised, right? Correct. Yeah. So of our sort of 300 or so, uh, paying customers, uh, they each use Diffbot because it's able to extract better than the in-house team of humans. They had gathering the data before or the, or the engineered solution they had, um, prior to using Diffbot. And so they're taking advantage of our very accurate extractor. What, uh, what we're working on now is from all of these extractions, how do you uh, very accurately, you know, at better than human accuracy rates, uh, resolve the entities, right? So right. 
Right. Uh, ben Lorica, you have probably a LinkedIn profile page. You probably have a page, you know, on the the O'Reilly site. Uh, you you may have a whole you bunch have a of Twitter uh, handle. Twitter, you, have- you know, you've got all these different pages, and how how do we're able to accurately extract from each of these, right? But now we have to be able to link them together. And you have a pretty unique name, right? So it's it might be easier for you, but uh, for someone whose name is like John Smith, it would be very challenging um, uh, to to very accurately link them together. And so we have to build a learning system that's able to do that uh, extremely accurately. And then we have to do what we call knowledge fusion. So from all of these facts, from these extractions, determine which are the true facts and predict you know, what is so, the likely so, so would you be able to link my profile in English with my Chinese name? Yes. I mean, so for us, we are currently able to do multilingual linking. And the ultimate representation that we want to build is language agnostics, because fa- um, the facts um, will each be represented, of course, by, you know, URIs, you know, that are sort of language independent from what we call the surface form or uh, the actual um, language specific string. So how do uh, how do developers uh, kick the tires of DiffBot? Uh, it's, it's very easy to try out DiffBot with um, you can just go to our site and generate a token, start making API calls. The, the free trial gives you, you know, I think up to 10,000 API calls. To You can kick off custom crawls and extract pages. Um, and then if you need more, you, you contact us for, you know, a paid plan. Fantastic. So, so besides entity resolution, what else are you guys working on? So we're working on, um, you know, resolving these entities with the goal of building um, this coherent uh, database um, that people can query. So the next step is reaching the larger market of business users that we mentioned earlier that are not programmers that um, are able to query this knowledge directly, right, without an API call. They can just uh, ask if I, you know, give me a list of all of the machine learning experts in the Bay Area, right, that work for company XYZ and get back a set of entities. Or if you're a salesperson, give me... Mm-hmm. Uh, a list of all companies who are uh, advertising for this capability so I can sell them my product. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what we're working on is basically um, bringing uh, this technology to a broader market. So I should mention we're um, a profitable AI company. So um, our profits uh, fund the AI research. And by making the technology available to greater and greater um, sort of markets, um, we really be- become one step closer to integrating uh, AI into these enterprise workflows and into society. Um, so for so, the real ambitious listeners, the question is, are you hiring? Out of 15 or so people we have right now, nearly everyone in our company are AI researchers and machine learning experts. We look for them all around the world, and we are looking for people that have expertise in entity resolution, you know, knowledge fusion, computer vision, and natural language processing. So it's it's a very high bar, of course, to to work for Diffbot. But I think um, if you're doing that kind of work, it's like the the best place in the world to to, to do that. Well, this has been great, and uh, uh, thank you, Mike. And we look forward to uh, hearing more about Diffbot in the future. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me. This has been really fun. You can follow Mike Tong on Twitter at Mike K Tong. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.